0: Welcome to the Expansion Candidate Podcast, where we talk all things Big 12 football. I'm your host, Ian Boyd. I'm being joined this week by Coach Joe Willis. How's it going, Coach?
1: It's going well. How about you? I'm
0: doing good. For our uh, listeners, Coach Willis is currently the head coach at Colleyville Heritage, former head coach at Cedar Park High School. When he he was at Cedar Park High School, he coached some uh, pretty well-known Big 12 football players, uh, Spencer Drango. He was a star left tackle at Baylor. Uh, Dominique Espinosa, who was, I think, a three-year starter at center at Texas. He's coached some some big-time players at Colleyville Heritage already as well, including quarterback Cam Rome, who's now at San Diego State. Coach, we're glad to have you on. You've been a Thank you for having me a, a pretty big-time figure in uh, Texas high school football the last decade.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it. I don't I don't know about how big-time I've been, but I've uh, been blessed to be around some really good players. And some really good assistant coaches, some of those guys that you know that I'm getting credit for coaching those kids, uh, those guys were actually coaching them up on a daily basis. So uh, I, I appreciate the compliment, but I have to pass that right along to the kids and the players that have been a part of those uh, teams as well.
0: Those are some pretty strong programs that have had a lot of a lot of successful people involved. One thing that put kind of put you on the radar, I think for for me and probably for a lot of for a lot of high school was um, your battles with Lake Travis and Chad Morris uh, early in the decade—I I remember you once telling me that uh, your philosophy on defense was shaped partly by battling Chad Morris's Lake Travis teams. Uh, how, how did that kind no, of come no about? Doubt.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we learned a lot, you know, and and a lot of that we learned in in defeat. Of course, a lot of times you learn more in those those losses than you do in the wins, but. Uh, obviously, Chad was there at Lake Travis. He started a, a really long run. Um, Hank Carter has since then taken over and has obviously continued to have success there. And, you know, they have a great system and they have a great way of doing things and a, and a really uh, good community as far as the, the setup for, you know, uh, football and, and playing championship-level football. It's always good to be in a place where everybody – uh, roots for the same team and everybody grows up, you know, under the same mascot and same colors and all that stuff. And that—that's what Lake Travis was. But yeah, we—we we learned a lot by by default uh, from Lake Travis. They, uh, Chad, when he got there, obviously had been up and had studied Gus Malzon and had had uh, you know brought that system uh, and, and tempo and, and and some of the RPO game had had brought all that with him. Uh, and you know, it gave us a lot of trouble the first two years we played him. Uh, you know they really uh, they ran the score up on us pretty good a couple of times, so uh, we learned and we adjusted uh, a lot of our defensive philosophy was based on how to stop that how to call defense and how to how to communicate our calls across the field in a tempo situation and how to substitute and how to substitute uh, in certain times and and not just the way we had always done it so i'll you know I remember. Um, in, in one of those games, I remember the center snapping the ball at the time we were on the the 25 second clock. So the official actually blew the whistle, uh, to start the play. And I can remember the center snap in the ball when that whistle was blown. That's how fast they were going. So we had to change the way we communicated our calls. We had to, uh, get into our one word call system and we had to tie the coverage back into the front. That was really significant. I'd always, uh, kind of been an old school, you know, Defensive guy in terms of call the front and match the secondary, and and I had to change all that. That had to uh, that had to go from secondary down, and I think a lot of people have found that that's the best way to call against that style of offense. But uh, we did learn from it, though. I, I think we you know defensively we did a really good job in 2010 and 2011 against those guys. And we played them four times in those two years, beat them once, and and lost two uh, just heartbreaking games in the quarterfinals uh, both those years. Um, but, uh, but I did think we got better because of it and that's usually how it works. You know, somebody brings in a system that challenges you, uh, and then you have to respond by, by getting better on your end. And I think our coaching staff and our kids really, uh, really did that.
0: I had a friend who, uh, was there for one of the early games before you guys adjusted. And he told me a story. He went to go see Garrett Gilbert cause he's a Texas fan. And he was like, Lake Travis, you wouldn't believe it. It was like, it was like they were playing a video game offense, Mm-hmm. But then, then the following year, like you like you just said, you beat them once, took them down to the wire twice, and then they moved up to 6A, and then Cedar Park was in the state title game two out of the next three years. So uh, yes. it seems like that really forged that program and your coaching a lot was
1: it, it facing did. That. It did, and like I said, we, we felt like defensively, you know, I think we lost 21-20 twenty, two thousand ten, 2010, and we lost 14-9 to in 2011. So... You know, we grew up a lot defensively, but but you know those guys didn't just play offense either. Hank obviously was a defensive coordinator and uh, had a great defensive mind, and so they played great defense over there. They're you know good program uh, all the way around, but but I, I do think it made us better, and I think it did carry over into 2012. Uh, and those guys weren't there anymore, uh, honestly. Uh, I wanted them on the schedule for our non-district games, even though they weren't in our district anymore, because I thought it made our kids a lot better. and I thought Our kids really enjoyed, uh, you know, playing those guys uh, that didn't work out. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as if they couldn't or didn't want to play as if it was uh, because the way the schedule had fallen, that we couldn't get that game. But, uh, but I think it's a great, uh, I think that rivalry down there is kind of a, a, a really big deal for the Cedar park people. I know. So, um, hopefully they'll get that thing going
0: again. Yeah, Central Texas is really – there's a lot of big-time football there nowadays, It's you know, Westlake, Lake Lake Travis. But um, there's been some some major changes in Texas high school football besides just the spread. We were talking earlier, and I wanted to have you come on and talk about some of the um, changes in recruiting that's been going on in the state and the way recruiting's done and some of the things you've witnessed. What would you say are sort of the big – Interesting issues facing recruiting in Texas high schools right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- it's not just Texas, honestly. It's it's across the nation, and and, and it's a, it's a challenge to do it right. And, you know, there are a lot of smart people on both sides of that that are they're working on trying to make recruiting, um, I, I guess, have some disclosure to it. Uh, but but to be honest with you, that what concerns me as a high school coach is how the high school kid and the high school parents perceive this whole process uh, because there's a lot of misunderstanding now you know there are people out there uh that that advertise themselves as as recruiting gurus and they and and i think probably by and large they do help Uh, i think there's some of those those guys that don't understand it any better than the parents do and i think there's some of those guys that probably do and are probably helping kids that Otherwise, wouldn't get their name out there, get their, their film out there, or be able to get to a camp. I, I think there's, there's good and bad on in, in, in both ends of it. There's high school coaches, I think, that do a great job preparing their kids for the recruiting process. And then there's high school coaches that can, are completely hands-off uh, because they, they don't want to get uh, caught up in, in, in some of the, the things that are they're going on as far as the misinformation out there. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge to get your kids um, well-equipped. Going into that process, I think in in our program we start them as as when they're freshmen. So when they come in the doors, we want we want to know uh, is playing at the next level is that something that interests you? If it is, then you need to get in our recruiting program, and then we're going to educate you and your parents over the next four years about the reality of recruiting, and that there's there's things that are changing out there. So we have to stay on top of that as well. But you know, the biggest challenge to me is to make sure that the kid understands exactly what an offer is because in, in today's college football world, other than maybe the state of Texas, and, and I know the coaches here in the state of Texas, the Division I programs here, uh, they're pretty upfront about, hey, when we offer your kid, that's, that's a real offer. They have a, an offer to come to school here and to play for us. But that's not the case across the nation. You know, uh, there's a lot of schools that when they offer you now, let's say they offer you as a sophomore. That offer really is an offer to come to their camp and be evaluated by them. It has nothing to do. It's not an offer to, to go to school there, to have a scholarship. It's an offer to come to camp and be evaluated. And fair enough. Uh, you know, those schools do need an opportunity to evaluate uh, outside of just film that they have from the, from the kid playing here in the fall. Uh, I think that's reasonable. I don't think... That what parents, I think what parents and kids need to hear now is that they need to make sure that that, that offer is, is explained to them by that school. So I, if I'm a kid and I'm offered, here's what I want to know. I want to know number one, is this an offer for a scholarship or is this an offer to be evaluated? And then number two, very importantly, I want to know what is the timetable for me accepting this offer? Because a lot of times, you know, there, there is a timetable. Sometimes schools don't talk about, you know, the fact that they may offer five guys and there may only be three scholarships there. Well, if that's the case, then in some ways the first three that take it or perhaps the three that the school wants are the only three that they're going to move on within a certain time frame. So, you know, I think it's easy for a, for a young man, especially a, a kid that's a sophomore uh, junior in high school, it's easy for them to get excited when they get an offer from the university of wherever because they want to play football and that's a big deal. It's a scholarship offer in their mind. So it's easy for them to say yes and you know, appreciate the offer and then get on Twitter and tell everybody in the country, you know, how how blessed they are to have that offer. That's reasonable. That's <laughs> a kid and that's what they should do. But but what is not reasonable is the adults involved in the situation allowing that kid to think that that offer is something that it's not, and I, so, and, and you know, it kind of works both ways. You have you have some parents and some recruiting gurus that out there that that will tell the kid, "Hey, if you get an offer, you take it, regardless of whether or not you're serious about it." Well, it's, that's kind of the you know that that's not good as well because what what ends up happening is that kid is more or less saying, "Hey, I want you to hold my my spot there." I want you to keep my place there, but then I'm going to continue to shop around and continue my recruiting process. Well, neither one of those scenarios—whether the school offering you uh, what you think is a scholarship offer and it's really an offer to be evaluated, or whether it's a kid telling the school, "Hey, I'm going to go there. I want to commit," and then keeping the recruiting process open—neither one of those scenarios are helping kids and schools, um, you know, with that process. They're, they're, they're clouding that process up, and it really pollutes uh, what's going on. And so who ends up you know getting hurt in that situation? Well, the, the assistant coaches that are, that are involved in the recruiting process that think that they have a kid coming to their school that that kid's not really planning on going there, that's one. And then two, more importantly to me, the kids who are really serious about going to college, getting a college uh, degree, and finishing school. And that's where they want to play football. They want to, they want to use uh, that vehicle of football to do that. So those are the ones that are getting caught up in the, you know, in the pollution here. And uh, it's unfortunate. And I, I'm not saying that there's a great answer for it in the state of Texas. What should happen is there should be a great relationship between the college coaches and the high school coach, because I'm here, I'm a full-time coach in the state of Texas. And that's what I do. And he, these are the kids that I look after, and these are the kids that I take care of their interest. So the relationship between that college coach, whether it be the citizen coach or the head coach who usually makes those offers, and myself is really important. And there needs to be a, a relationship of trust. So when I tell them a kid's committed to you, I need to be able to say that with confidence. And when they tell me if that kid has an offer, they need to be able to say that with confidence. And so there needs to be that that uh, truth factor uh, that works consistently between the head coach or the assistant coach there and the head coaches at the Texas high school. That's what makes Texas high school unique in my mind. That, that is not a system that exists across the country.
0: So the NCAA has stepped in with ostensibly uh, something that's supposed to help solve for these issues, and that's the, um, the early signing period in December. And then also they just passed a law the rule, uh, limiting contact between players and coaches for the month of August. Do you see these as being helpful or what or, or do you, what do you think's going on here?
1: Well, I, I don't, I don't see it as being helpful. And I, I'll tell you why. And and it's not just my opinion. Like I, I don't know everything out there. I I know that when I listen to college coaches, coach Saban is, is a coach that I consistently believe in his approach because He's a no—he's a no-nonsense guy. He doesn't have to say things uh, that sound good. He's going to usually tell you what he's what's on his mind, and, and typically that's pretty close to the truth. So, you know, I heard him a few years ago say that he did not like the draft evaluations coming out before the bowl games, and his reason was is because uh, he he knew that it would lead to trouble, and it has, by the way, it led, led to trouble with kids playing in bowl games because. They knew they had a certain uh, status in the, in the draft coming up. Um, I think the same effect can can happen now as far as early signing. Uh, and, you know, it's I think 20, December 20th to 22nd is the window, and that's where our state championships are. But you can just imagine a kid in the state of Texas that's playing on the team that's going to play for a state championship, and that early signing date is out there. Well, you can say, well, they don't have to sign the early date. Well, that's true, but you know as well as I do that the colleges are going to want them to sign on that early date. So there's, there's this, uh, you know, there's going to be this inherent pressure to, to sign early if, if you can. That's one problem with it I have. The second thing is, I mean, you know, as you look over the past couple of years, how many kids are changing their commitments uh, the last week or how many kids are trying to announce their commitments the last week or right before signing it? Some of that's going to be going on. Now, think about a kid who, who has three offers out there and is trying to make a decision. He's being pressured by all three to sign early. And that kid's trying to get ready for not only finals in high school, you know, because those finals will be coming up that week too, but he's also getting ready to play in the state championship game. I mean, I can't imagine how that's good for the kid mentally. I can't imagine how that helps the kid. I don't I don't know how it helps the school. Uh, if I'm if I'm some of these high academic schools, I'm really concerned about this early signing date because I don't even have their first semester scores, you know, to reflect. So if I sign them and they end up not being academically eligible by my standards, then I've got a problem there too. So I, I'm not sure what that solved. I'm not sure how that was supposed to help uh, anybody. You know, I like the idea of not having any contact in August. I, you know, I think that's that's a good thing because that's where kids are getting started. Uh, you know, with their high school season, it's important to get them focused. But I don't like the idea – of the early signing date simply because i don't think it serves a great purpose um and, and i'm not sure there's a, there's probably a select number of schools that that actually helps um so that that would be my overall opinion about the early signing date
0: well i think um not to pl- not to call anybody out but i think the early signing period is big for the uh so like a school like tcu their big thing in recruiting is to get out ahead, evaluate the kids really early in the process as sophomores and juniors, and then try to get them committed and locked into TCU with a strong relationship before you know the Texas and Oklahoma comes over and and tries to steal them away. And I think these a lot of these schools love the smaller schools love to try and lock these kids down as quickly as possible before they stand to miss out on their class and then they're trying to rebuild their class with a bunch of big-time players pulled out just before, you know, the the final stretch of the sure. recruiting season.
1: Well, and I, I I guess I could see to an extent that that might be, you know, there might be some train of thought there that, that leads to that. But, but, again, I go back to those first semester scores aren't even solidified at that point. I, I really struggle with how a kid academically is going to be, how they're going to decide on his eligibility. Now, there's some, obviously, that will, but, they there are going to be some kids it's going to come down to what their their sem- their first semester or their senior year scores were um, and again that that's that's just my opinion I may have a misunderstanding of, of what the the real advantages are but I do know there are some disadvantages to it on the high school side
0: well I think a scary thing that you're pointing to is um, football at its core is a community sport it's one of the ultimate team sports because there's so much uh chemistry and sacrifice necessary to do it well. But then you have all these trends in the game that are making it more of an individual, uh, fo- individually yeah, focused like, thing. So like, like your, your yeah, we'll scenario be, yeah. of the, the, the kid who's like, Oh, I got my, uh, I'm locked into school X and, uh, maybe I don't necessarily care about this playoff game because my future is set. And then all his teammates are guys that have, you know, sacrificed alongside him, maybe sacrificed to set him up to look good. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. trying to fight for as much as they can in their senior years. But he's, you know, yeah. it, if, he, if, he's like not, if he's not moving on, his mind is distracted.
1: No doubt. Well, and, and they're going to be distracted. That's the thing. We assume, uh, we're, we're assuming a lot of maturity <laughs> on their part. We're assuming that they have uh, a parent there that is is keeping them grounded and sound. I, those kids are out there. That's probably ten percent of the high school population though. The other ninety percent of those guys are being recruited, or that goes back to exactly what you said, uh, they are gonna they are gonna struggle with their focus and they are gonna lose uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, when you talk about commitment, they're gonna lose their commitment to what actually got them to where they're at and that's that's the high school game itself. And I hate to see that for for young players. I hate to see a young player focus more on what he's going to do the next year than he is right now. I think that sends a bad message anyway. I mean, you know, we, we as coaches, we talk about focusing on the here and now and taking care of your teammates and taking care of, you know, what's going on now. And, and you know, that that message is probably out there, but it's, it's so secondary to what the message of our society sends, and that is a promote uh, yourself and make sure that, you know, at the end game, that you're taking care of. And I call it the scholarship over championship mentality. And in high school football today, and in the Metroplex especially, I see a lot of that. It's more about the scholarship than it is about the championship. It's more about the individual than it is about the team. I don't think we build the best players, and I don't think we send the best players off to the next level with that mentality. And, again, there's there's an exception to every rule, and I'm sure there's a lot of exceptions out there um, in terms of kids that are grounded and sound, and they believe in their community and playing for that team, but I know this that we're giving them an opportunity to lose traction on that on that piece of uh, of, of thought. Uh,
0: and a related trend in Texas has been um, the rise of skills coaches and uh, um, AAU like seven on seven summer teams. Um, what are some of the what are some of the impacts you've seen from from uh, the increase in the, the number of private skills coaches and and seven on seven type stuff in, in high school football?
1: Well, I mean, one, you know, the the private skills coach is, is was born out of necessity of the rules. Um, you know, because in the state of Texas, a high school coach doesn't have access uh, outside of the school day uh, and the season doesn't have access to develop his players, so that was born of necessity because, you know, anywhere there's, there's a need and kids and parents, they, they want to go out and develop their skills. They're going to, they're going to go find somebody to work with. The, the issue, a lot of, a lot of times this is the issue is that you, you can't really, it's hard to say, you know, which, which skill coaches are, are doing the right thing and which guys are, are just kind of doing it because that's a side business. I'm and, and there's good and bad. I, there's a lot of them up here in the metroplex. I've seen them do some really good things. Uh, really help the kids out. And I I believe in what they're doing. But there's also uh, some that that uh, you know might might involve themselves in some kind of side recruiting. You know, in terms of high school to high school uh, type activity. And there's there's some that that may even teach the kid uh, you know different things than the high school coach would, and that could lead to trouble. I, I'll say this. About four years ago, uh, Matt Brown at at the University of Texas, I sat down with his staff and and he agreed to help me uh, with the UIL here in the state of Texas, try to promote the idea that our high school coaches needed more access to our kids in the summer. The reason he was adamant about uh, helping me was because he had seen some of the same things I was talking about. You just mentioned that mentality of go off and play on a club team in the summer, that mentality Uh, you know, not playing with your teammates in the summer. And that had in turn led to uh, handlers and people that had an association with the kid coming in with the kid on visits and actually acting as if they were his his agent almost. And so he was seeing that and he understood again, going back to what I said earlier, that there needed to be um, the high school coach needed to have more contact and more influence on those, those kids than, and these guys that were that were handling them in the summer, um, you know. Since then, the UIL has actually this past uh, June at their legislative council meeting, they actually talked about uh, looking into the idea that Texas high school coaches could coach seven on seven in the summer. Now, uh, for me, seven on seven is 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 a, is not a the game of football. It's it's a drill that you use within practice. It's a uh, a practice organization type drill that that you would use to develop quarterbacks and receivers. But the game itself, seven on seven uh, I don't know that I'm interested in coaching it. What I do want is to have access to those kids uh, in skill development during the summer. We already have strength and conditioning during the summer, and it's six weeks and four days a week, and and it's self-policed, and we have two hours of data in which to work uh, strength and conditioning drills. Uh, But I would like to be able to, to add a football. You know, and, and, and maybe even add some time and have some variation in the days of the week. And UIL is doing a really good job right now uh, under the directorship of Susan Elza, uh, our UIL athletic director, of trying to look into ways where our coaches can have more influence and have more time with our kids outside of the school day uh, and outside of the school year. But I do think it's important because anytime you have, well, for instance, there are some sports right now to where uh, the college coaches never go to a high school game. They, they are only going to uh, their summer league games or their, their league games. And, and uh, you know, we, we sure hope that it doesn't come to that in the state of Texas to where somebody's going around and I mean, the very best players in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and putting them on one team, and then that team is going around the, the country and playing because, again, it goes back to that that doesn't really help you know, the, the individual football programs. And I don't know that it's straight for the kid either, to be honest with you. Um, so, I mean, there is a rise in that. And, again, I, I see some advantages in having some good guys around you. Like I said, I know I've got some good ones in this area uh, that our kids go and work with, but I also know uh, that it can lead to problems. And, uh, you know, if that trainer is telling them he'd rather them uh, play on his seven-on-seven team during the summer than play on their, their high school seven-on-seven team then well, that goes back to we're kind of you know we're breaking down the loyalty uh, that that kid has for the program that has actually provided him the opportunities uh, you know to to be recruited.
0: Now, something I've noticed that you would have a better picture of than I than I would is that in seven on seven, a lot of it is about um, a little more West Coast NFL style passing, and then mostly just man coverage on defense because. A, you can't hit people on purpose, and B, it's hard to get, you know, a loose collection of kids under skills coaches to to get together and then master, I don't, you know, like two read or something, like some kind of zone coverage, and then go out and win a seven on seven game that way. So there's not necessarily overlap between uh, seven on seven skill development and what these kids will actually be doing in high school or even college. It's a little. It seems like it's a little more pro style. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. And I, I've always said that seven on seven is a useful. It's a useful tool. There's no question about it because at the end of the day, is is an offensive player running a route? Yes. Is a quarterback getting into a drop? Yes. Uh, now, is the quarterback throwing on time? Well, with four seconds, I don't know about that. You know, uh, is the receiver <laughs> yeah, having to? Point. Is he having to avoid underneath? coverage probably not in that situation and so like you just said you know in the NFL you, you can't touch a receiver past five yards that's not the rule obviously in NCAA or in Texas high school football so I mean we teach reroute uh, we teach hands-on uh, defensively uh, I think it's become a game of diminishing returns if if the quarterback has four seconds on in a football play you know in a real football game uh, that quarterback probably has exceptional feet and has escaped the pocket and is is moved around. I see. I see in the seven oh seven game seven uh, game, too many quarterbacks that are, that are back there, well past the time that they would be back there in a normal situation. So, uh, again, it, it can it can definitely help in terms of running around, they're catching the ball, there, there, there is skill development there. Um, but but yeah, as far as application to our game, I don't know. I don't I don't see it. I don't see there being a whole lot of application. They don't run we don't run seven on seven drills in our practice. Like we run seven on seven playing the game in a summer league. It's, it's, it's totally different. So uh, I, I would agree with, with what you said about West coast and NFL in terms of, of the rule set, It probably lends itself better to that style of play.
0: But then you're talking about like a lot of these kids are going to these camps and these seven on seven competitions. And then the recruiting services are ranking kids off their performances in that setting and, uh, A, it's not necessarily teaching the kid something that's going to translate. Um, it's not necessarily – I mean, quarterback rankings are some, con- some of the most consistently wrong part of recruiting rankings. <laughs> uh,
1: All rankings, but, yeah, I'm with you.
0: And uh they – uh like we've said, they're not necessarily learning something that's going to help them win high school games, which is, you know, whatever. But if you're talking about the player – uh, they're not necessarily learning something that is going to have a huge benefit for them in college, which seems like it's actually, a, that's actually a big deal in terms of what's best for some of these players.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I see a lot of this falls back on, you know, the, the, it, obviously the college coaches don't, they really don't look at some of these rankings and ratings the way parents and kids look at them. they these rankings and ratings, like all rankings and ratings for high school, because let's face it, I don't care what we're ranked at the start of the year, if we make the playoffs and we win six games, we're the state champion, we don't need to be ranked highly to do that. And the college world's different, obviously. But 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 rating those players and putting stars by their name is, is almost the same thing. I say it all the time. That's for the parents and, and the, the people, the fans of the game, to look at that's not really what coaches look at and how they evaluate we tell our kids here uh, we want you to go to college camps in the summer we want you to get in front of college coaches in the summer uh, the, these other camps that are skill development camps they, they do serve a purpose uh, it's not exposure to in terms of to the college coaches it's exposure to talent and you know if you want to go out and you want to find out about talent we'll go to one of those things and and, and see some of the guys that you got to compete against here in the metroplex because there's a lot of talent out there. But but there won't be a college coach there. And you know, very seldom will a college coach in the state of Texas actually look at any film that's done at the camp or or listen to any evaluation or write up that's done at the camp. That's done for the for the fans and the parents. That's that's who it's done for. And occasionally we do see out of state schools that are using some of these services uh, you know that that actually videotape some of the drill work because. Their budgets don't allow them to get down here, you know. So they they utilize a, a recruiting service that may film, um, you know, that camp, and they so they film an individual, and now that coach can look at it on film. But but at the end of the day, all and this is why going back to why our colleges offering the opportunity to be evaluated at the end of the day. If I'm a college coach, what do I want? I want to see you on film in the fall, and I want to see you perform for your high school. Okay, that checked. All right. So next box next box is, I want to see if you're interested in coming to my campus. Because if you are, then then now I know that you may be somebody that I can recruit. If you come to my campus, you come into my campus and performing well at my summer camp. If all those boxes check and I'm still interested in you, then I'll continue to recruit you. So that's really what, you know, uh, parents that spend money on, on some of these services and some of these camps, sometimes I think they misunderstand who's actually looking at this information. But but you're right. A lot of these camps are are set up. Uh, well, let's face it. A lot of these camps are set up as ma- as money makers. Uh, you know, so they're set up so that you know they can charge the kid to come in and, and be a part of the camp. And they are going to advertise the kid and promote the kid. But they're promoting everybody at the camp. Everybody who paid the fifty dollars or sixty dollars, they're going to get the same type of promotion. But I, I you know, sometimes I chuckle as I watch uh, some of the Twitter. Uh, videos that are put out there a, a receiver who runs a route and he you know he has three moves on the route in order to get open um uh, you know yeah. and, and he catches the ball and everybody who's and eyes. well that's not reality that's not that's not what a, what uh, what we as coaches were really even looking for and very seldom does that happen in a real game so I don't know did, it, did that teach the kid the right thing because you know in the real game you know, we, we want to teach attack the route, attack the man, you know, and separate. I mean, that's that's in a real game. That's how it happens. And I don't see you know, that happening all the time at some of these camps. I think they're more for promotion and and money makers and oohs and eyes. And again, it goes back to the parents and the fans. Of stuff. Uh, the college coaches. I don't know. I I think very very little of it actually gets considered. They want to see it. They want to see it face to face. They want to see it in a personal way.
0: Well, let's talk about one other major uh, high school storyline going on right now, and that's IMG Academy. A few different Texas coaches have have spoken about it. Matt Rule at Baylor actually said recently that they were not going to recruit kids that go to IMG. Um, Tom Herman at Texas made a comment about emphasizing Texas high school football over IMG, but you backtracked just a little bit saying, like, you know, I understand some of these kids – this is a good opportunity. It's, it's not universally horrible. Um, what are the impressions that you've had or some of the coaches you've known in the, in the Metroplex maybe have had of, of IMG and and what's going on there?
1: Well, I'd say overall, you know, the coaches here um, probably have a negative opinion about IMG because, because it doesn't fit into our culture. It doesn't fit into our way of our way of life is, the kids that we have living in our attendance zones are going to be the kids that we coach, and, and that's what we're going to go to bat with every, every Friday night. And, and any time you bring in a private school of any kind into that equation, I don't care if it's a private school here in the state of Texas or a school that's designed just for the elite athletes and, in terms of IMG, and, and you start talking about they get to recruit, well, that, that's going to raise some eyebrows because you know, that's not how, that's not the culture of Texas high school football. That's not what we, uh, you know, have grown up with. That's not what we want to do. So do we get offended by the idea that somebody could come in and, and before they're in college offer a kid a scholarship and, and actually give them some, some type of financial incentive to leave the state of Texas and the, sure, sure we do. And, and, you know, we do that because obviously we're trying to protect our teams and we're trying to protect, you know, our communities and our schools, um, but, but I, I also, on the flip side of that, I mean, I, I, I can see where there are certain situations where that may be the kid's only out. That may be the kid's only, only avenue. So, you know, we're doing, the coaches here in the state of Texas are going to do what's best for Texas high school football in our communities and our schools. And, uh, you know, parents uh, sometimes are going to do what's best for the kid. And, and in fact, they should. I mean, that's their role. IMG itself. Uh, I've had had a, had some good friends that have actually coached on this and there, obviously there's a lot of talent there. Um, but here's what here's the feedback that I've gotten anyway: that they don't always play in competitive games. I mean, they may play in two or three competitive games every You can imagine again t- taking some of the best players across the country and put them on one team. Well, you know, it sure is hard to compete, you know, or, or get competition. When you're, when you're not playing that kind of talent. Now, again, they, there's two or three games I'm sure they play every year that are competitive, but, but I don't know that that's across the board. I struggle with the idea of, of, you know, getting better on a team where the other ten guys are all exceptional players, too. I don't know that that's necessarily uh, good for kids. Uh, you know, I don't know that that gives them the edge that they need to to go on and get better. But, but again, that's just my opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that, uh, as far as the – Kids going out there. Kids are going to continue to go out there, and you know, in the state of Texas, I don't think anybody's going to schedule them. And again, you know, why would we? Why would we bring in IMG to play a game uh, so that they can be in front of our kids and in front of uh, the people here in the Metroplex, and then in turn turn around and recruit the same kids that that are playing on our teams? That that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's, I think, that's why that's not happening anymore. Uh, But you know, again. Um, you know that's they are they are set up uh, as some of these recruiting services are as some of these camps are. They're set up and, and uh, so that they can uh, you know make money off of what they're doing. So they have sponsorships. I'm assuming that pay for all that stuff, and and they in turn can offer a financial uh, scholarship to the kid and, and bring them out there. And hey, if that's what's best for the kid, then I say go for it. Uh, but I've always said my, uh, here at our program. I hope that we can compete with any program in the nation in terms of what we offer here. So, uh, you know, we feel pretty good about the product we have. and If we got to compete head to head with IMG, so be it.
0: Just to wrap things up here, you uh, know some of the coaches around the Big 12, uh, communicate with them for recruiting purposes or, or just for other for camps and things like that. What are your impressions of this upcoming Big 12 season and uh, who, who you see as maybe some front runners or some interesting stories in the, around the league this year?
1: Well, I mean, there are obviously some interesting stories. I mean, you mentioned Coach Herman at, at Texas, and, uh, you know, some of the coaches on that staff were with him at Houston, and, and I've known those guys for quite a while, some of those guys on the defensive side. I think they do a great job. Obviously, at Houston, they they turn that thing around and, and, and turn it into a, a really performing better than even the University of Texas. So, I mean, you know, those guys going into to Austin and uh, with the kind of culture that they promote, uh, with the kind of coaches uh, that they have, that's that's going to be interesting. I think that, uh, you know, talent-wise and recruiting-wise, they're kind of catching up right now. So, uh, look for them to definitely be on the rise as far as their stock. Uh, you know, Oklahoma with the coaching change is going to be – Huge storyline, and, and and I think that's you know there's not there's not going to be a lot of change in philosophy. He's still going to continue to call the offense, but um, but you know anytime you have the the head coach as uh, a different guy, you know sometimes it takes a few games for for players and coaches alike on that staff to get used to to the leadership style. And so we'll see how that goes. I think they're very talented. You know, maybe uh, to me the. In my mind, the, the favorite this year, the, the team that comes back with the, probably the talent, the coaching staff all in line is Oklahoma State. Uh, I think they'll they'll be very good, be at the top, and of course Kansas State year in year out uh, gives everybody uh, you know gives everybody a game, and I think they're one of the better teams in the in the Big Twelve right now. So you know a lot of lot of teams on the move and on the rise, and then you've got some, some teams that are obviously very talented and they're year in and year out. Uh, it should be a very fun year to watch the Big 12, especially early on, you know, while some of those uh, teams are getting used to the new leadership.
0: Is there a staff in the Big 12 that you uh, have have taken more from in terms of applying a philosophy to, to your high school programs?
1: Well, you know, bits and pieces from, from really all of them. But, you know, i would tell you the one that obviously in terms of years, and, and I've worked some camps over there in the past. And, and and just how long he's been in the tenure that he's had as Gary Patterson over at TCU. And as far as how he coaches football and how, and how he goes about, uh, you know, setting up principles in his program, I, I mean, that's probably, uh, you know, we've probably gotten as much from, from Gary and how he runs his program as, as anybody else. I think he does a great job as far as structuring his program, uh, you know, coaching a, a certain style of football. Um, I mean, year out, year in, year out, they're they're good, and don't always have the recruiting classes, you know, to show that. But, but they're always going to be good. And and I appreciate the fact that he he's another one that for our for for coaches anyway, for the ASCA and coaches association, uh, he's very vocal about you know promote Texas high school football, and he he understands the culture here, and he understands the traditions here, and goes out of his way to make sure that, that his voice is heard, you know, and and in our support so we, we obviously appreciate that and that we've learned a lot from it I've uh, been over to several practices. Um, you know, Coach Morris over here at SMU has, has got that program turned around and again, uh, no surprise because he, he's doing things the same way he's always done it, led the championships at the high school level and uh, did a great job recruiting there at Clemson obviously with that class that just went out uh, there and uh, is, is recruiting uh, good classes at SMU and it's got their culture changed too. You know, and then uh, the the coaching staff that's at the University of Texas now the defensive staff had uh, uh, had gone and made visits down to the University of Houston so uh, picked up a, defensively I mean that's really our philosophy defensively is is very similar to them um, you know in what they do so yeah I mean it's it, it's kind of across the board you know we uh, we picked up bits and pieces from every we've even been to Oklahoma State before and uh, they they have a great culture they have a uh, you know, really good system and, and you know, small market. As far as the TV market, it's not real big, but you know, you're in a you're in a great place. It's isolated, and I think that's a that's an important key that I picked up on. You know, anytime you have autonomy over your program, and you get autonomy from your tenure and being there a well, while, I think I think that program usually runs a little bit smoother. And you know, going back to your storyline in the Big 12, I think that's the you know the big storyline is what coaches have been there the longest. Uh, and have, have, have been able to kind of build and maintain their traditions there because that doesn't happen a lot in college football. You don't get coaches that stay there, you know, over five years a lot. You know, it's a lot of turnover. And, you know, University of Texas is a great example. A lot of media influence there. and, and A lot of, uh, you know, everything's just kind of out in the open. I think Coach Herman had said something about it last week about not having the you know, reporters at their practices yeah. able to go on social media live. and. And, and I think that's that's so that's reasonable. I think that's important. I think it's it's important to take you know the your kids and protect them from, from all the outside views and opinions and all those things because uh, you know it's easy, especially with a young coaching staff, to get all those things skewed all over the place. And when you're in a place like Kansas State, where you know that guy is a tradition himself, uh, Coach Snyder is. That, that uh, you know, it's, it's much easier to say, hey, you know, we're going to protect our kids and this is how we do things and, and nobody's going to question it. And Oklahoma State's the same way. Stillwater, I mean, you know, Coach Sunday's got a, um, a place there where he, he is a part of what they do and, and everyone respects that. Um, and, and so when you're not getting questioned and there's autonomy there, that, you, know, you tend to have success. And that's what I've learned, I think, from a lot of the coaches around the state and even up here to our north is that when you can get that kind of autonomy and you can get that kind of buy-in and trust, then you can have success.
0: That is an interesting insight, especially related to Texas and some of the turmoil they've been through. I'll tell you what, I'm also interested to, to see TCU, if they uh, if they end up turning to that Metroplex champion, Sean Robinson, sooner than later um, to yeah. run their offense.
1: It will be interesting. Uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, look over the course, uh Coach Cumbie now, you know, is, a, is an offensive coordinator, and Coach Meacham, who did a great job, now has gone on to Kansas. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that, that changes and if it changes anything, and, and that quarterback battle is going to be be fun to watch.
0: Well, Coach, thanks so much for your time. Love having you on, and good luck this season at Colleyville Heritage.
1: All right, thank you very much.
0: Well, thanks again to Coach Willis for coming on. Um, that's going to be it this week for an expansion candidate. You can find me, Ian Boyd, on Twitter at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd, or you can find me writing about Big 12 in general on com. Thanks for listening.